I'm pulling my driveway, so you all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today, I'm going to talk all about an activity that I've spent a lot of time doing. Uh, not a lot recently, though. Uh, but it used to be a big part of what I did for Magic that I do a lot less. But I have not talked much about it, which is my time judging. Back in the day, I used to do a lot of judging. And so today, I'm going to talk about judging. And also, I'm going to talk a bit about the feature matches which are intricately linked to my, most of my judging experience while, while I was at Wizard. So, I will talk, so today is about judging and the feature matches, sort of interlinked, uh, two topics linked together. Okay, so let's start. Um, so I explained this before, that um, when, I, uh, when I was in L.A., I was freelancing for Wizards of the Coast. In order to do that, in order to make my puzzles and write my articles and do all the projects I was doing... I had to see the cards ahead of time. I, I know, poor me. Um, but it meant that I couldn't play in sanctioned tournaments because I had advanced knowledge. And uh, the rules at the time were just pretty simple. You couldn't play in sanctioned tournaments. We've gotten a little more subtly now. Uh, but anyway, so I wasn't able to play, but I wanted to be involved. Um, and so what ended up happening was I, in sanctioned tournaments, I would judge. Now, note that I used to go down to uh, Costa Mesa all the time and play. Um, back in the day, those, most of those weren't sanctioned, so I could play in those. So when I wanted to be a player, I would go down to Costa Mesa. But when I wanted to be involved in anything that was more sanctioned, especially stuff like regionals or in, in more formal things, I would judge. Um, and so uh, when I first got to Wizards, I heard a rumor that Scaphalias was working on some project that involved organized play. That project ended up becoming the Pro Tour. Uh, and I, once I realized what was going on, I said to Scaff, you know, I'm really interested. I have a lot of experience. I've done a lot of judging. I've done a lot of um, organizing tournaments and stuff. I would love to be involved in this. And Scaff was like, I'd love the help. And so I got very involved with Scaff of helping to do the creation of the early Pro Tour stuff. Now, let me explain. Scaff, Scaff for those who don't know who Scaff is, I, I explained Scaff a little bit. He was one of the original playtesters, one of the East Coast playtesters, designed alliances, antiquities, um, Ice Age, Fawn Empires. Uh, he came to Wizards pretty early, and one of the things that Scaff did was really try to figure out ways to help Magic in a, in a structural way. Not just the game itself, he, he did work on the game, but bigger than the game. And one of his big contributions, I think, was he really, really was the person who said, you know what's key to making this work is organized play. And Scaff really pushed hard in saying, you know, one of the, one of the biggest problems for people is they want to play Magic, but do they have places to play? Do they have people to play with? And so Scaff was one of the people very early on that pushed the importance of events and organized play. Um, part of that, the reason that he created the Pro Tour was he understood the need for aspiration and the need for uh, something to want to achieve. That if I go to my store, it could build towards something. So that's why he felt it was very important to have a Pro Tour. But he also felt it was very important to have an entire organized play structure from the stores all the way up to the Pro Tour. Part of that, and, and Scaff recognized this very early, is... In order to make uh, organized play work, you need people who are running the tournaments. Yes, you need people in the tournaments, but you need people running the tournaments. And the key to that is partially, I mean, you need a good uh, circuit of tur tournament organizers, that was important, but you also need judges. Judges are the lifeblood of 
of tournaments. If you want to make a tournament run, you need a judge, usually multiple judges, depending on how big your event is. Um, and so, one of the things that SCAF and, and the, the whole organized play team worked real hard toward was figuring out a way to get, to get judges. And what we realized was, it wasn't just enough to have judges. We wanted a system by which we could promote and create judges. Because one of the things that's important, if somebody wants to do something, you need to say to them, here's how you do it. There's a means and a method and a step. There's a way to do it. And we wanted the players to know, hey, this judge is stamped by us. This is a good judge. They know what they're doing, you know, and... We wanted the players to be able to differentiate, so it was very important to create a certification process. So the idea was, we want judges, we wanted some way to say, hey, these are judges, this, they are stamped approval, these are good judges, and there's a way for judges to advance. Because just like there's a pro tour for players to aspire to, we wanted the judges to have something to aspire to. So what we ended up doing is we created five levels. There's level one through level five. Um, now, I'm going to, a lot of the stuff I'm going to explain today, let me give a little caveat. I judged a lot back in the early days. Um, in 2004, my twins were born. I gave up most of my traveling, and, and the side of that, I gave up judging. So I've not really judged since 2004. That's 11 years ago. So a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is how judging was. I, I'm not up to date on how judging is. So if I explain some things, I'm explaining historically where it was, not necessarily where it currently is. So take that with, take my knowledge of the grain of salt that I'm not giving you the most up-to-date information. I'm more historically explaining where it was. So we created these five levels. Uh, and at the time, the idea was that level five, there was one level five uh, back in the day, and that level one level five would be the person who was the head judge for the Pro Tour. Originally, I think the first level five was Tom Wiley. When Tom Wiley stopped judge, head judging the Pro Tour, Charlie Catino became the level five. So for a period of time, there was one level five. There shall be only one. Um, eventually, we realized that we needed more than that. There were more events that needed level fives. And so eventually, the, there are now more than one level five. Um, and not a lot. It, it, level five is a pretty high prestigious level. Um, and so the idea is that... Uh, in order to create somebody, in order to get certified, the way it worked is you have to be certified by a judge a higher level than you. And what that meant was um, we enabled each judge to certify the level below, level or more than one level below them. So the idea was level fours could certify level threes or twos or ones. Level threes could certify level twos or ones. Level twos could certify level ones. So a lot of what we wanted to do, um, the fives and the fours were the higher ups r- running key things. Um, and the idea was, out in the wild, mostly you'd have level one, twos, and threes. And so what we needed to do is we needed to seed the world with judges. So first off, there were some judges when we started this. There were people that on their own accord, much like I had, had started judging, not because there was a set-up judge system, but they knew there needed judges, and there were people that stepped up and did that. So the first thing we wanted to do was get all the people that already were judging and sort of officially check them and certify them, um, and then enable those people and give them the tools to create and certify other judges. Um, so pretty much, the way it would work is, here's how the certification process used to work. I, I, once again, I don't know how it currently works. The way it used to work is, um, we would, there were three components, I believe, at the time to cert- certification. Number one was, you had to come and judge at an event that we were watching you at. We had to see you in practice. Um, so... A lot of what we were focusing on was getting the level three certified. 
Um, but level fours and fives were mostly people that either worked for, for wizards or we were closely aligned with. Um, I, I ended up becoming a level four. And one of the main reasons is one of our jobs was certifying level threes. Um, and I, I was a level four, so I could certify level threes. The reason level threes were so important is we were sending threes out into the world, and level threes were going to find, find and certify level ones and twos. And so the idea is if we could create a robust world of level threes, the level threes could have the job of filling in with the ones and twos. Um, so a lot of our focus was trying to give a level threes early on. Anyway, uh, in order to get certified, what happens is, number one, uh, um, you need to have done, I mean, number one is just experience of judging. So first of all, we have to make sure that you've judged a bunch of things, and then we want to see you judge how it would work. So we want to first get, some, get your resume of what you have judged, and then we want to usually bring you to a pro tour, sometimes a Grand Prix, but we bring you to something where we could watch you judge. And then, number two, there usually was a written component where we would... Um, uh, the written component had two different aspects to it. One was rules knowledge. Usually at every level there's a rules test. It's sort of, are you up on your rules? Because knowing the rules is very important for a judge. Number two was just questions ab about philosophy and how you saw things and how you did things. And um, uh, we would have some... Usually the written test was more, though, in general, about rules knowledge and tournament knowledge. Uh, and then we'd have an interview in which we would ask you the stuff about... So I guess the written test was more about locked known knowledge being um, rules knowledge and being tournament knowledge, which are separate things. Rules knowledge is how does the game work, and tournament knowledge is how do you do things at tournaments? What are the, the warning system and you know, all the, the way the tournaments work? Um, and then, in, then we would interview you. The third part is we'd interview you, and the interview had two components. One component is we would um, ask you questions, see how you feel about things, just get a general sense of, of you as a person as a judge. The other thing, which was my favorite part, is we do role-playing. I don't know if they still do role-playing. This was a big thing back when I certified. Uh, and the way the role-playing worked is we would pretend to be players, and they would be the judges, and then we would watch them interact with very difficult situations. So one of the things that we used to do is um, we... Basically, the judge community was... Whenever something would happen, we would share stories. And there are people that I will call... Um, Innovators, shenanigan innovators, who really uh, were on the cutting edge of trying to mess with with the system and judges, and we would learn stories from them. There were some famous—I mean, I won't name names—but there were some people that were famous for being shenanigan innovators. Uh, that's my polite term for them. And we would learn the things they did, and then we go, "Ooh, that's very interesting." And then we would do uh, role playing sessions, and we would do those same tricks. And the trick was when you're when you're doing. Um, role-playing with the judge is, what you're trying to do is trying to, as the player, control the conversation with the judge. You are trying to dictate where the conversation goes. Because a good... A, a, a thing a judge needs to understand is a player will try to manipulate to the direction they want. Especially people that are doing shenanigans. You want to make sure that they're not setting the tone or setting the subject matter of what you're talking about. And so a lot of what we did was, in the role-playing was, we would pit up the judges against very aggressive players that were in very offbeat situations where you had to figure out what to do. And a big part of it was learning how to control the situation so you weren't letting the player dictate what the conversation was about. Because um, it was very... And one of the things... The number one thing I used to do to mess up judges is I would walk them carefully through steps 
to get them to agree to something that they wouldn't agree to the thing initially, but I would walk them through like a series of 10 steps and get them to agree to each thing along the way and then go, well, you agree with all those 10 things. And they go, well, I can't, you know, I, I would get them to change their mind, which was a big no-no, by the way. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so um, we did a lot of certification. I, I don't know how many certifications I did. I Tons and tons and tons of certifications. The way it would work is whenever we went to an event, be it a Pro Tour, a Grand Prix, um, whatever it was, we would take time to sit down with the people we consider to be the level three opportunities. Um, and the idea was we were trying to certify. I mean, I say certify. I want to make sure they were good. We weren't certifying anybody that wasn't good. You know, certification meant you met, we had a, a, you know, a bar you had to pass. We had a quality level we wanted. Now, two things. A, if they pass, you certified them and then gave them the tools to certify people lower down. If they didn't pass, you explained to them what they needed to do to pass. Because the important thing was, it wasn't like yes or no. It was yes, and now let's get you in the system and help you certify more people. Or it was, okay, you're not ready yet, but here is the areas you need to work on. You know? And the idea was the certification was a positive thing no matter what. You know, it wasn't supposed to be like, yay, I'm in, or, or no, boo, I'm out. It's, do you have the skills? If you don't have the skills, let's work on it with you to teach you the skills. Um, and one of the things that I think is really important to understand is being a good judge requires a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. Um, there's a lot to judging. It is a very complex thing. And I, I, I sometimes when people are playing, um, it, I don't. the average player probably doesn't know all the stuff the judges do. One of the things I always say is, Next time you're at a tournament, if you've never thanked a judge, if you've never just said to a judge, thank you so much for helping us, for making this tournament run smoothly, do that. Um, I mean, the judges, the judges spend a lot of time and energy trying to make sure that you guys have a good tournament system and that it, it, it at times can be a thankless task. Um, that, you know, it, it is... I, I, I do think it's important from time to time to take step and appreciate... Uh, what people do for you. And, and, and literally, if you've never think to judge, think to judge. Anyway, um, back back to history. Um, so we started certifying level threes like there was no tomorrow. You know, we, we really, I mean, in the beginning, there's a lot of finding the existing judges and certifying those that needed the certification and who were really were qualified, just need to certify them. And then the next step was once we had a base of level threes, was starting to get the level threes to certify level twos and, and level ones. Um, now, now, the important thing, by the way, for those that have never judged, if you want to become a judge, the neat thing about it is there's a system in place right now. Um, it's, it is much more elaborate than even what I'm explaining. There are, the, there, there, there are still, I think there still are five levels, I think. Uh, might, that might have changed. Um, but anyway, if you want to become a judge, it is not hard to... Take the, I mean, there's work you have to do. I'm not saying you just click your fingers to be a judge. But if you are willing to put in the time and energy and learn what you need to learn, there's a system for you to become a judge. And there's a great need for judges. That, you know, the magic has been growing. There's lots of people playing. You know, organized play is up. There is a need for judges. And if, if, if you think it would interest you, I, I heartily encourage you to talk to a judge. They can hook you up. You know, um, a big part of becoming a judge, like I said, is learning the rules, both the actual game rules and the tournament rules, and um, just getting some experience of, of working with judges and sort of learning the ropes of, of how to judge. Um, and 
once again, there's a lot more than just knowing the knowledge. That's important. But understanding how to interact with people, how to do so in a pleasant way, you know, how not to let things escalate. There's a lot of really key important things. Okay. So let's talk about my judging. Now I've talked about judging general. So um, I was, I, early on, I was very involved in getting the system started. Um, but also, I was a judge. So the number one place that I judged was at the Pro Tour. Now, the funny thing is for most people, most people, that was the brass ring. Like, you want to be a judge, and one day you want to you have the highest echelon of judging, it's getting to judge at the Pro Tour. And it's ironic that probably 80% of my judging was done at the Pro Tour. Um, a lot of my judging was done at the Pro Tour. I mean, I spent eight years um, judging at the Pro Tour. So, I had a very specific role at, at the Pro Tour, which was I was in charge of judging the feature matches. And normally what would happen is I would have one judge with me, uh, now, the feature match was four matches. Couldn't one judge handle four matches? Why an extra judge? And the reason was these matches were really important. The eyes were on the feature matches. And so we wanted to make it as impeccable as possible. Also, it was a treat to get to judge the feature match. And so um, I know that judges also used it as sort of a nice little bonus for people that were doing a really good job. Because it was fun just judging, like, the name players. So, anyway, let me talk about feature matches. I, I said I would talk about feature matches. Um... Uh, I was very involved in the early Pro Tour, and probably my biggest uh, contribution, if you will, to the early Pro Tour was the feature matches. So let me explain. So in the very first Pro Tour, which was in New York, um, it dawned on me that there was these interesting matches going on, but that no one, no one knew where they were. Um, that no one, like, like, because the way it worked is early on, you could just wander through uh, the, the earliest pro tour. Any spectator could just walk by anybody and wa- watch any match. Um, and so the idea was, I'm like, oh, well, you know what's interesting? I'm like, yeah, table 62? Oh my goodness, it is Mark Justice is playing Chip Hogan or whatever, whatever it was in the names at the time. Um, and so what I did was, I, um, I think I circled them or something. I, I indicated on the sheet matches you might want to watch out for. That was the, like the very first, I just like, hey, you might want to check out this match. And then I think at the second Pro Tour, LA, I, th- I think my time's right here, um, somebody who was putting the Pro Tour together noticed I had done that before, and so they decided that we'd make a sign. And the sign was called Rosewater's Pits. And then there was a separate area where I said, okay, here's where the matches are that you want to watch. And then I think... The next time, they said, you know what? Maybe we should just put them in one area rather than make people go find them. Because we, we started to realize that having players just, uh, having spectators just wander through the area wasn't the best idea. So we said, well, here's what we want to do. Let's um, make an area where we pick the matches we think are the most exciting, put them in that area so people can, can watch, can spectate. Um, and I went to them and said, you know what? I, I want this to feel, I, I don't want this to feel like some random opinion of me, I wanted to feel more official. So instead of Rosewater's picks, how about we call them the feature matches? Um, and the feature matches ended up becoming very central, that when, we, when coverage started becoming a bigger thing, there's a lot of focus on the feature matches. Um, being a player and getting a feature match started to have some equity to it. It meant something. Um, now, one of the interesting things was I spent a lot... Of, so one of my roles on the Pro Tour, besides judging... Um, on Sunday, on the final day, I was in charge of putting together the video portion of the, of the finals, of 
Um, I was the producer. Um, early on, I actually I used to do some commentary, but I was not that good at it. Uh, and so I got I got commentators, and then I would be in the booth. I'd be the producer. I'd be talking with the director. I'd be setting things up. I'd talk with the players, and that I was coordinating. Like the director at the time didn't really know magic, and so a lot of my job was explaining to him where we wanted to go and what was important in the moment. And I would, oh, it's important right now. We see his hand. Make sure we see his hand. He show he show the hand. Um, and then also the director would ask me questions if he needed to know things. And I would sort of set up order of what match we were going to start on. I, I set all that up. Um, I'd also prep the players, a bunch of prep. There's a, you know, the day before, if you got in the top eight, there's a speech I would give you and sort of explain uh, what the rules were. And there's some stuff that's on camera that's specific to just being on camera that you have to learn that you wouldn't know having never been on camera before. Um, but anyway... Um, because part of my role was that I really felt a lot of what I did in the Pro Tour was star building, was sort of getting the audience interested in the, the tournament um, through ways of really creating a narrative. And the big way I wanted to do a narrative was creating a lot of people that were... I, I was very big in archetypes. So if you look at early Pro Tour, um, and I've talked a lot about this, that, that I really wanted to get people to root for people and sometimes I want them to root against them I was big on on sort of promoting villains uh, of you know of these are the people to root for and these are the people to root against you know in wrestling terms you got your face and your heels um, and I really wanted to sort of get players invested I wanted people to watch a match and want them to root for somebody didn't have to be the same person but I wanted people to feel invested in the match they cared about the match um, so in feature matches, it was a similar thing, which is I wanted to pick feature matches that were exciting and did some of the star building that I wanted. Um, now it's funny, Randy Bueller and I used to get in arguments over this, um, because I tended to prioritize names over, uh, how good they were. Meaning that I tended to put people in feature matches that people knew. And Randy really believed that what I should be using the feature match for is to educate people who the best players were. And so in the earlier rounds, I should be featuring um, the better players playing each other, not the better known players playing each other. And so my take on it was, I said, look, when we get to the later rounds, I'm going to focus on the rounds that matter. So when there's rounds in contention that are important, those go in the feature matches. So the reality is being good will get you in a feature match. But the early feature matches are, are, are not about getting you to know those people, because you'll eventually learn those people. It's about giving the audience what they want. And what the audience want, and I spent a lot of time on this, is they want to see the players they know. That's what they want. You know, my, my, goal, what, my goal was to make the matches the players wanted to spectate, not try to teach the spectators who they should be wanting. Um, and, and Randy and I had a, had a big... I mean, we weren't super far apart, but I, I really believed that part of becoming a known player was do well, you'll end up at the feature matches because you're doing well, players will get to know you through that, and then you start to become someone players know, and then I start including you. Um, I think the big argument that we used to have is, as the Pro Tour got older, we'd have players that once upon a time were really good players, uh, and, and for whatever reason, started a job, whatever, you know, they, they didn't have as much time to focus on the Pro Tour, and so they weren't quite as good at players, and I'm still focusing on them only because they're named players. Um, and Randy's like, they're not, you know, here's the up-and-comers, focus on the up-and-comers. We, we had a lot of debates about that. Um, one of my favorite things, by the way, one of my favorite players to, p- to put in the feature match here, uh, Tom Gavin was a player out of um, New England. He came in second in the second Pro Tour. He lost to uh, um, Sean the Hammer Regner um, at PTLA 1. And 
Tom was a hoot. Tom, Tom understood that when you were in the feature matches, you were putting on a show. And I, I loved putting Tom. He made it fun to watch. He, players loved watching Tom. Um, and he is one of the ones I think that Randy yelled at me for because there's a point at which Tom wasn't quite as, as as on his game as he was in the early years. But he was always fun to watch and people knew him and he was a name and I loved putting Tom in the feature matches. He, people would gather around. Like one of the things to me that was very interesting is I was very, I would put people in the feature matches and then see who came and watched them. Like who were the feature matches that people, um, A, the volume turned up, a lot of people turned up, or B, they were excited. There was emotion coming there. Like one of the things about Mike Long, I've talked about this before, is... Players were emotionally invested in any match Mike Long was in. Now, they wanted him to lose. They badly wanted him to lose. But they were invested. Meaning, they watched it and they cared. And that is a real important part, to me, of good feature matches is I want the audience invested in caring. I mean, I want a good game. I want a good match. That's also really important. Um, But these are the... Look, this is the Pro Tour. The people at the Pro Tour know how to play Magic. There's exciting games in Magic... You could pick any match. I mean, even without names. You'll have exciting magic. But what's really exciting to me is just watching the personalities and getting the audience to have emotional investment. It's a big... I, I'm... It's funny, if you look at my time on the Pro Tour, that um, I I think my philosophy was a little bit different in how I did things. And I was, I was very, very into making sure there was an emotional bond between each match and the audience. And I, I was very big on story in the sense of what's the story of this match? Like one of the things I would do when I was producing is I would always make sure that my commentators set up the context for what the match was about. That was one thing they used to say. Every match is about something. Figure out what the context is. Explain that up front what the context is. Do these two players hate each other? Are they best friends? Have they played before at an important moment and something happened? These two played in the finals of this Pro Tour. Like, I would love to do that. Is two people that played in a, fi- a former finals of a Pro Tour. And like, okay, it's all about the rematch. You know, so-and-so beat so-and-so. And first guy won, the second guy lost. The second guy going to, you know, finally get the victory that was taken before. Or is he going to lose again to the guy that beat him last time? You know, I like having context. And I think that's really important. And so, um... A big thing for me when I was picking feature matches and, and, and stuff was trying to make sure that um, there was a story going on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a storyteller for those that haven't figured that out. Um, but anyway, um, I ran the feature matches for eight years. Um, it is very funny, by the way, how I worked really hard in the early years doing all the video production and doing the feature matches and... Seeing what they have to do now, the resources they have now, makes me so jealous. Like, oh, if I had the resources back in the day, if we had streaming and I could do video and, oh, anyway, that was, uh, I'm very jealous. When I watch now, I'm very jealous. Um, Because a lot of what we were doing was through print, with like, you know, the duelists would come out a month and a half later and tell you about things. They were trying to sort of make contextual things you know, they get to do it in the moment right now, live. Uh, uh, anyway, um, the other thing at some point is uh, maybe one day I'll do a, I'll do a, a podcast about um, doing feature match coverage. Uh, I mean, not feature match coverage, doing uh, the final day. Do, doing, I have a lot of stories about shooting finals and stuff. Maybe I'll maybe that'll be one of my upcoming podcasts. So this is how I get new podcast ideas. Is I do a podcast and while I'm doing, it, I go, "Ooh, that'll be a good idea. I should write that down." So anyway, maybe what I'll do one of these days is stories from the finals there's a, there's, a, there's a bunch of fun stories about this 
things that happen in finals. Maybe I'll have to do that. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, judging. Uh, like I said, a lot of my judging was on the Pro Tour. I did do, early on, uh, I did the opportunity. I, I ran, um, I had judged some PTQs, and I, I, I got sent around. You know, I went to Vancouver to run the PTQ, and I went to Eugene to run the PTQ. They, they used to send us all around in the early days when there wasn't enough level threes. Um, I think at the time, level PTQs were run by level threes. Um, they might be run by level twos now. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but anyway, um, and I, I, like, I had a chance to be a scorekeeper at a Grand Prix. One of the Grand Prix, San Francisco, uh, not San Francisco, one, one of the Seattle Grand Prix I, I, I was a scorekeeper for. Um, but I, I really did enjoy my time. And one of the fun things about judging was getting to know the other judges. Like right now, for example, um, they are, uh, they just introduced, they're doing a, uh, a judge hall of fame, which is very exciting. Um, cause the one thing that's neat is just seeing all these names that I know from way back in the day of just all these different judges. And, um, there's just a lot of people I, I know that I got to spend a lot of time with that spent, you know, what, what, I always say that magic is different things to different people. You know, in some ways it's, di- it's different games. It's also different experiences. And that there's a group of people who they've chosen for a lot of what their magic experience to be is helping other people, is creating experiences that other people can play and have fun. And I mean, I, I cannot, I mean, obviously I've been a judge, but, um, uh, having been the judge and seen the judges and talked with the judges and just, I really have a very firm understanding of the amount of passion and energy that goes into our, to the judges. The magic judges are truly an amazing group of people. Um, and when I talked about earlier about thinking a judge, I, it is, it is, it has been truly heartwarming to see, uh, how much the judge program has grown and how much the people who are in it care. Like for example, there is a whole, uh, Website you can go to, you have to, you have to have, just be logged in, you gotta be a judge. But where judges talk about judging issues, and like I know it, in R&D, we spend so much time talking about small minutia that you have no idea about of should drawing be targeted or not. This is stuff that we spend hours and hours debating that you guys probably don't think two seconds about. Um, the judges do the same thing on every little nuance. Um, and I know we interact with the judges of just talking with them about what's the best way to template things so the cards, you know, we want to make sure the players aren't confused. And, you know, I know our, our templating team often will consult with judges to make sure that as we do something. Or if we come up with crazy things, we'll consult with the judges to go, okay, we're trying to do a crazy thing. What, what's that going to do with the tournament environment? How are we going to handle that? And um, it is the, the passion that these people put in to that the judges put in to making your experience smooth. Like, one of the things we talk a lot, I know, what, um, back in the judging was, uh, was the best judging is invisible. And what that means is, when a judge is doing a really good job, you don't even notice they're doing it. You know, when a judge... So much of what makes judging judging is so that things don't happen. You know, there's so much prep work and so much put into it so that... Like, when you see a giant thing happen, I mean, those happen, but that's, that is not what most of judging is. You know, most of judging is not the giant moment where something happens and there's a big discussion. The, most of judging is making sure that everything runs smoothly, that there isn't a problem. You know, that when you have a tournament and no problems happened, that is perfect judging. That is things going wonderfully because, it, you know, I mean, it's not just the judges. Also, I should uh, give a tip of the hat to the TOs the tournament organizers, they work hand in hand. Um, 
that, that's another group of people who are connected with the judges, but they're the people who organize the actual events. But the two of them work very closely together. Um, so also, by the way, if you never think to T.O., think of T.O. Um, but those two people work together very much to bring your thing. And, and it is neat being in the judging, you know, to be a judge and go out with judges and do the judge dinner and just interact with the judges. That It, it is... It is heartwarming. It is really fun to see people who... And, and their passion truly lies in judging. Um, I enjoy judging. I was, I was never a judge in the... My passion... Probably my passion for magic is making magic. That, that is where it lies. Um, and I enjoy judging. And I really... I really... Especially early, early in the days. Spent a lot of time doing it. And, and in the days, it was real fun for me. Um, but probably I... The judges now are so... That is their forefront thing. They want to judge. And it, it, it is, I don't know, it's, it's an awesome thing to see. Um, so what, what did I, I try to think, the things that I learned judging. It's funny because uh, one of the things that I, my judging experience, which is very different than the average person, is um, most of my judging, when something happened, it wasn't just some match. It was name player playing other name player in feature match at the Pro Tour. Like, I was judging the creme de la creme. So for starters, pretty much, I didn't... I mean, I got some rules questions, but mostly the players at that level know their rules. I mean, when I was getting rules questions, it was either very complex rule questions or something new that they, they just hadn't encountered before. Um, sometimes in limited Grand Prix, you just get combinations you've never seen before. That, that, that usually limited, limited, not Grand Prix, Pro Tours would create more rules questions because there's a more chance of you not knowing your cars were constructed. Look, you've played your cards a long time. You, you know the deck. It, there's less chance of things coming up. Um, and it was, I had a chance to be, I, I had a front seat to history. Like, there's a lot of classic moments where I was there. Um, in fact, I mean, one of the most famous things, uh, I'm almost to work, but one of the most famous things was, um, so people know the story of Mike Long is playing in the final round of U.S. Nationals in 1996. He's 13-0. If he wins his last match, he will sweep U.S. Nationals, which at the time had never been done, I believe. Um, and Mike Long, while playing, they discover a cadaver's bloom in his lap. And his, his opponent calls a judge. Do you know who the judge was? Me. I was the judge. Uh, that's probably my, my judging, uh, my highest, you know, most famous moment was I was the first judge called to the uh, cadaver's bloom in the lap. Um, and I remember getting Charlotte Catino involved and Mike Donay involved. And anyway, um, it, it's fun. I've been there for a lot of history. I've been there for a lot of, you know, there are definitely some feature matches where I was right there. And then even on the finals, I was producing. So, I mean... I wasn't quite on stage, but I was very close, uh, you know, and, and wa- watching through monitors, seeing all sorts of information. And um, but anyway, like I said, I'm I'm driving to work. Uh, I I had a fun time judging. Judging was uh, it's an experience I'm really glad I had. I'm really glad that I. And one of the things that has helped me be a better designer is having a good sense of experience of the people that are using our cards. Uh, and being a judge really made me appreciate the importance of simplicity, the importance of clarity, the importance of people understanding what it is you do. So, anyway, let me end today by saying, once again, if you've never thanked a judge, thank a judge. And even if you have thanked a judge, whatever, thank them again. The judges do a lot of hard work, and so, please, I hope you recognize, I hope today may give you a little, a little breath of, of appreciation for all the stuff the judges do. 
So anyway, I'm in my parking space, so we know what that means. It means it's time to end my drive to work. So instead of making magic, sorry, instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.